Hi, and welcome to another episode of Questions. My name's Nathan Elam. I'm here with Pastor Joel. How are you doing, Pastor Joel? Doing great. Good to see you, Nathan. Good to see you as well. It's as though we've uh, seen each other every day this last week, yeah. and maybe we have. And every week and for it... our entire lives. If you don't know, <laughs> Nathan and I are actually cousins. We don't look very much alike. I'm far better looking than Nathan is, but... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's if you say so. <laughs> the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I was adopted, actually, as a baby, but we actually are legal cousins, just yes, not we biological. Are. That is very true. That is very true. So we've got a, uh, some more questions that have come in, and we're going to start today with a question from Jeremiah, and that question is, what should true Christian community look like, and what is the proper context for Christian community? What do you have to say about that? Great question. Thanks, Jeremiah. Um, so I recently preached on this probably may maybe a month and a half ago or so. So I have some notes jotted down that I want to use. Um, I think there's four primary components. Um, certainly, we. I mean, you could say there's 14, you could say there's mm -hmm. 44, you could, whatever, but I, at least four. So the four for the purpose of this episode of questions, and I'm going to highlight uh, when it comes to key components of Christian community, Christian community. And so uh, we, we have the context, we have the goal, we have the tools, and we have the nature. That's kind of the language that I'm using to answer your question, Jeremiah. The context, the goal, the tools, and the nature. But before I look at some of the notes that I've jotted down, let me go ahead and read uh, the text, the biblical text that I'm going to be using in order to answer this question that I think gives us um, a really wonderful biblical snapshot on um, the aspects of Christian community. So this is Romans chapter 1, verse 8 through 15. Romans 1, 8 through 15. The Bible says this, First, I thank my God. This is Paul writing to the Romans, who he has not yet visited in person. He's been wanting to get there, as we'll see in this text, uh, but has not yet been able to do so. And so he's writing to them. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So whatever God is doing by the agency of the Holy Spirit in the Christians and in their hearts and the community there at Rome is so significant that um, there's a testimony, there's a reputation that these believers are, are building for themselves, or that God is building through them, rather, uh, that is world-renowned. All over the world, people are hearing of the faith, the Christian faith of the Romans. And so he goes on, verse 9 now, "'For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit.'" This is basically Paul saying, um, "'God is my witness, I'm not lying.'" I'm not being deceitful. I'm not being emotionally or relationally manipulative, but rather this is my, my genuine, honest to God, heartfelt affection for you. God is my witness, um, who I serve with my spirit, meaning with all my zeal, all my passion, all my affection. I serve God in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And God knows this. And God is my witness that in my ministry of the gospel, which I do with my whole heart, with my spirit, without ceasing, he says, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And so we see Paul's been trying to get to the Christians at Rome. It has been his earnest desire. It has been his genuine attempt. He has been unable to fulfill this goal thus far, mm. uh, but he and because he can't be with them in person, he is doing his very best to benefit them as much as he can through the agency of prayer. And so he's saying, I am mentioning you every time I pray. And for the Apostle Paul, he's saying, and how often do I pray? All the time. Mm 
So I'm always praying, praying without ceasing. And every time I pray, I cannot help but mention you because I so desire to be with you. And and who is my witness? Who who can who can vouch for me that that is my genuine affection? I, I, I love you. I care for you. I want to see you. And because I haven't been able to see you thus far, I am constantly praying for you. Who, who can vouch for me in that regard? God. God is my witness. Uh, then he goes on. Now in verse 11, he says, for I long to see you. I think that's key. And I'm going to land there here in just a moment. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, uh, that you may, uh, we may be mutually encouraged. And so I want to spend some time on that as well by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Uh, I want you to know brothers that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented uh, in order that I may reap. I want to come to you so that I can reap some harvest among you as well as uh, among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Jews and to Greeks, both to uh, Greeks and barbarians, the text says, uh, both to the wise and the foolish. And so, therefore, I am eager also to preach the gospel to you at Rome. So back to my notes now. Um, when it comes to Christian community, we, we have to understand the biblical context, the biblical goal, the biblical tools, and the biblical nature. So the context of Christian community, the goal of Christian community, the tools for Christian community, and the nature. And so I've written in my notes this, the context for Christian community is intimate and personal. The context for Christian community is intimate and personal. Paul longed to see, I said we were going to land there, I'm going to do that now, he longed to see these saints at Rome. The Apostle Paul regularly expresses his heartfelt desire to be with other believers. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 through 17, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Now, of course, at a practical level, the Apostle Paul, he recognizes that it is practically impossible for him to foster and sustain a close, intimate relationship, friendship with every single believer at Rome. However, what we can tell from this text is that his heart is genuine in his love and affections and godly concern for these individuals. So although it's practically an impossibility for the Apostle Paul to be best friends with every single Christian at Rome, what he wants every Christian at Rome to know is that although he will practically practically not be able to be in close, personal, intimate, best friendship with every single one of these Christians, he wants them to know that if he could, he would. If he could, he would. And that is the precisely, I, I believe, the context for Christian community. The context for Christian community is friendship. It's intimate and it's personal. Uh, when we have this, we should treasure it, we should foster it, we should seek to sustain that kind of intimate, um, personal relationship and friendship. And when we don't have it, um, I, I think that we should do our best, as the Apostle does, to at least convey, to communicate to our hearers, to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that although we may be hindered in having that kind of intimate friendship because of practical challenges, that just the not even the fallenness of humanity, namely our sin, but the finitude of humanity. The fact mm -hmm. that we're, we're not omnipresent, mm -hmm. right? I'm not, I, I'm not a million places at once. I can only have, I can only foster so many relationships simultaneously because I'm a man, I'm finite. Uh, but even in those circumstances where 
where we may not practically be able to have the kind of intimate, personal friendship with people that we desire to have. It's still valuable and important, especially for somebody in leadership in the local church, especially for an apostle, in the case of Paul, or in our case, a pastor, a minister of the gospel, to convey to the people of his congregation that although he doesn't have the practical framework of being best friends, having an intimate, close relationship with every single one of them, he desires to. Although he cannot do it, if he could, he would do it. And so the context for Christian community, it is intimate and personal. We see that again, verse verse 10, he says, I'm always asking in my prayers, I'm always asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed to coming to you, verse 11, for I long to see you. And I can't help but think of just even some of the current events Mm -hmm. shaping our nation today. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm currently in California, the state of California. There's some strict social um, restrictions in regards to COVID-19. And I think, man, it would do the body of Christ good. It would do uh, local churches, local congregations good just to hear from their pastors. I long to see you. I long to see you. See, Paul, Paul doesn't allow the practical hindrances of not yet being able to visit the Christians at Rome to stop him from at least communicating to those Christians that, that although he practically is not able to see them, he wants to see them. Mm-hmm. He longs to see them. So the context for Christian community is a genuine desire for intimate and personal relationship. That's where Christian stuff happens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where the good stuff happens. That's where the the nitty gritty, real discipleship, robust um, sanctification and growth in our walk with Christ happens. It happens always in the context of close, intimate relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not in any any way to um, to de-emphasize the value and significance and absolute necessity of the preached word. People grow underneath the preached word. So you could be a part of John MacArthur's church, for instance, where there are thousands of people and never even shake John MacArthur's hand, right? Because just practically, it may be an impossibility just because of the sheer size of that church. And yet, if you're a part of that church, a member of that church over the course of your life, you would still probably be able to say on the final day when you stand before God uh, that there are hardly any any human being who has benefited you more spiritually than John MacArthur, a guy that you never even personally met. And yet mm. simply by weekly on the Lord's Day sitting under his preaching, you benefited time and time and time again. However, it's only going to be a true, genuine benefit if it is supplemented, so not a substitute, but if it is supplemented, added to it, the context of deep Christian friendship, right? The people who are growing at Grace Church with John MacArthur, they're growing because they're sitting under his preaching, but I I would be willing to bet that they are also growing because in addition to sitting under faithful biblical preaching, they also are in, in smaller, intimate, genuine communities of Christians where they have friendship. Mm -hmm. It's intimate. It's personal. It's friendship. It's that life on life, that that one-on-one context of real intimate relationship. So that's the context of Christian community. The goal of Christian community is not merely fellowship, 
Right? I think that's part of the problem. Sometimes in the church today, there, there are so many people who, they're like, well, I'm at the church because I desire Christian community. I desire Christian community. But if you really prod and get down to uh, their, their true motives, you'll, you'll realize that they're just lonely. Now, I mean, it's, I think, completely acceptable and understandable that someone who is lonely would desire community. But, but do you desire community? And you simply think that the church is just kind of a, an easy target to find that kind of community and friendship? Or do you desire actually Christian community? Because Christian community has as its goal not merely the end of fellowship or friendship. Right, So we talked about the context for Christian community. It is friendship. It is, in fact, friendship. But the goal of Christian community doesn't stop with friendship. It is friendship for a cause. Right, Friendship is not the end of Christian community. It is a means to an end. And so we desire friendship, and we desire friendship for the sake of friendship, but not merely for the sake of friendship. We desire friendship as, as the context of Christian community, in order to achieve the goal of Christian community, which includes friendship, but it goes beyond merely friendship, and it includes mutual benefit. It includes not just friendship, but we could say this, not merely friendship for the sake of friendship, but friendship for the sake of fruitfulness. Friendship for the sake of fruitfulness. Going back to the text, notice what Paul says. He says, I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then he immediately, in the language there, in the text, it's like he can't even finish that statement without interrupting himself. Mm -hmm. He immediately interrupts himself with verse 12 and he says, that is, right? It's almost like he's saying, I long to see you so that I might give to you. In part, I might deposit, I might I might give to you something that's going to benefit you, namely some spiritual gift to strengthen you, to make you spiritually strong. And he can't even put a period on that sentence. He can't even finish the statement without interrupting himself in verse 12 and saying, that is what, what I mean to say, Romans. What, let, let me clarify, Christians at Rome, what I'm trying to say is this, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. See, Christian community, it has as its context friendship, intimate personal relationships. It has as its goal, not merely friendship, but fruitfulness. Mm -hmm. And Christian fruitfulness is always a two-way street. It is a mutual benefiting, a mutual spiritual benefiting. Even if you're an apostle of Christ, Right, So an argument from the greater to the lesser. right? So if you're a pastor and you think you can't benefit from the people in your church, you need to check your pride at the door. Mm -hmm. right? Because the apostle Paul, an eyewitness of the resurrected mm -hmm. Lord, he's saying, I can't wait to get to Rome because I got something to give to you and I know you've got something to give to me. Mm -hmm. That's good. That'll, that'll preach. So he says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So the context of Christian community is friendship. The goal of Christian community is friendship that bears fruitfulness, and it is a mutual fruitfulness. We benefit one another. Then the tools of Christian community are spiritual gifts. He says, I long to impart to you some spiritual gift. Now that's not to say, and I don't have time to get into this, but that's not to say that the Apostle Paul had at his disposal the, the supernatural ability, if you will, of imparting spiritual gifts, that is to say, 
the spiritual gift of tongues or healing or mm. prophecy. Mm -hmm. All right. Now there's there's some debate on this theologically, but but most of the theolog uh, theologians and biblical scholars that I would respect and adhere to and trust on on this text, they would say that the spiritual gift that Paul is imparting is his knowledge of the scripture and the gospel. So the spiritual gift that he's imparting, he is depositing. He's, I long to see you so that I might give you something. And I know I'm going to get something in return. It's going to be mutual. But the thing I want to give you is not the gift of tongues. It's not the gift of prophecy. It's not the gift of healing. The spiritual gift I want to deposit, I want to impart to you, is the gift of my knowledge of God's revelation. The gift of my knowledge, that is Paul's knowledge of God's truth, God's word, God's scripture, God's gospel. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying, that's what I want to give to you. So the tools of Christian community are spiritual gifts. And all of us have some kind of spiritual gift to give to one another. That doesn't mean any individual, even an apostle like Paul, has a supernatural ability of imparting the spiritual gifts that we would find listed, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 12, like prophecy, tongues, interpretations of tongues. Um, that's not to say that, but we do have spiritual gifts that we can impart, not meaning I'm going to give you the gift of blah, blah, blah. Now you're going to have that gift and be able to exercise it in the local church. No, it's saying, I have this gift, and I'm simply, I myself am going to exercise my spiritual gift to your benefit. Mm -hmm. And so maybe your spiritual gift is teaching. You're going to exercise that spiritual gift of teaching the Word of God to the benefit of those who are in community with you. Mm -hmm. Or maybe your spiritual gift is service or hospitality. You're going to exercise your spiritual gift to the benefit of those who are in community with you. So the tools of Christian community are spiritual gifts. That, that is not imparting a spiritual gift so that they now have that gift and can exercise it themselves, but rather that is exercising your own spiritual gift, which was what's imparted to you by God, by the Holy Spirit who gives to each according to how he wills, and simply exercising your own spiritual gift to the benefit of others. So the context of Christian community, friendship. The goal of Christian community, friendship is itself its own goal, but it's it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Friendship is the context and friendship and fruitfulness, a mutual fruitfulness is the goal. The tools for accomplishing this goal is spiritual gifts, exercising our spiritual gift for the benefit of others. Then lastly, the fourth key component, as I see it in this text regarding Christian community, is the nature of Christian community. The nature. And the nature of Christian community is mutual encouragement. Now, we've already spoken on this, just landing the plane now. It is mutual encouragement. Paul expresses his desire to impart some spiritual gift to the saints at Rome, but he immediately clarifies this statement by saying, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So despite all of Paul's knowledge and gifting as an apostle of Christ, he still recognizes that the ministry would not be all one way. Therefore, Paul quickly acknowledges that he looks forward to being encouraged by the faith of the Romans as well. So all that being said, Christian community has as its context genuine intimate, personal friendship. And when we can't have that because of our finitude, because of practical hindrances, perhaps a pastor of a large church, we still at least want to convey and communicate to our hearers that although we, we can't have it, if we could, we would. 
I long to see you. See, Paul can't have it with the people at Rome, mm -hmm. right? He's been hindered. He can't get to Rome. For whatever reason, God and his providence has not allowed the apostle to physically go to Rome thus far. But he says, I want to. I long to. I long to see you. And although I can't see you in person, I'm praying for you on the regular. I am praying for you without ceasing. Who's my witness for that? God himself can testify and vouch for me in regards to my genuine affection for you. So Christian community has as its context, intimate, personal relationships. It's raw. It's real. It's close. It's nitty gritty. It's messy at times because mm -hmm. it's close, right? It's not just this cookie cutter, nice and, and, and neat kind of package deal where, you know, you're standing in a pulpit 50 yards away and you never see anybody and you just get up there, you preach, they don't know you. Jonathan Edwards, just for the record, this is a freebie. Jonathan Edwards tried that. And Jonathan Edwards, don't get me wrong, he's a boss. But Jonathan Edwards, it's really interesting. So he believed that he, he wanted his congregation, there was about 500 people or so at the time in his congregation, he he was convicted and convinced that he wanted them to see him strictly, exclusively as the, the mouthpiece of God, mm. right? So, so Peter says in, in, in his epistle that the one who speaks, the one who preaches should speak as though he is speaking the very oracles of God. And Jonathan Edwards was convinced that if he became intimate, relationally intimate with the members of his congregation, that that familiarity would breed contempt, as it often does, right? It's not foolish for him to think that. That, that does occur. And, and so what he did was intentionally, he withdrew and would not allow himself to have any close friendships with, with people in his congregation. So that they would only, their only reference point for their pastor, Jonathan Edwards, would be the guy who walks in the room, climbs up into the pulpit mm -hmm. and says, thus saith the Lord. Now, there was a lot of benefit from that, but one of the drawbacks was eventually certain members of the congregation were upset with Jonathan Edwards over a particular issue they don't have time to get into, and they began to really push for his removal from his office as an elder. And Jonathan Edwards, when that took place, when that occurred, there was no one in the church who was a mm -hmm. close friend who was willing to come to his defense. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Edwards, and I mean, this is like one of those things that you look back on, it's almost comical in history, in church history. Jonathan Edwards' church removed mm -hmm. Jonathan Edwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, goodness gracious, we look at that removed in history, we're like, that is one of the dumbest things a church could ever do. What church removes Jonathan freaking Edwards? Yeah. <laughs> it's Jonathan Edwards. What are you doing? You might yeah. as well, like, that's, that's like, that's like a close second to crucifying Jesus. You know, like that's, okay, that's an exaggeration. But the point is like, you don't get rid of Jonathan Edwards. That guy's amazing. But if you dissect it and you look at the history and Jonathan Edwards himself would say this in some of his personal uh, journal entries, it was because he didn't have friends. There was no one to vouch for him. There was no one to defend him. Mm -hmm. And so Christian community has as its context close relationship. And whenever we can't have that because of our own, not just fallenness, our sinfulness, but our finitude, the fact that we're not omnipresent, we at least want to convey to others that, that although we may not have practically a close friendship, we long to see them. We desire it. And then the goal is not just friendship, but fruitfulness. And the tools in achieving that fruitfulness is spiritual gifts, using our giftings to benefit one another. And the nature of Christian community is a fruitfulness that is a two-way street. It is mm. mutually benefiting. No matter who you are, you might think there's no way in the world that I could benefit from this person because I mean they they 
I'm a pastor and I've been a pastor for 40 years mm -hmm. in this hypothetical scenario. And I just led this person to Jesus yesterday. I just baptized them. Mm -hmm. They're a brand new convert. Well, the apostle, emphasis on the word apostle, the apostle Paul still believed and was not, not just a pipe dream, not maybe, but convinced, convicted, absolutely persuaded that he stood something himself to gain from the Christians at Rome. So the nature of Christian community is that it is mutual. It's a two-way street. So context, goal, tool, nature. Context, friendship. Goal, fruitfulness. Uh, the tools, spiritual gifts. And the nature, mutually beneficial. That's Christian community. All right, great. Thank you, Pastor Joel. Uh, we appreciate that uh, detailed, thorough answer today. And if you're watching us on YouTube, we would like to encourage you to subscribe to our page, like this video, and uh, and you'll be able to see more questions answered in the near future. And also, we want to encourage you to find a local church where you can experience that community mm -hmm. that Pastor Joel was just talking mm -hmm. about. There's some good tools online. Founders.org has a church search tool. And so we would recommend that to you. So you're not going to get that from watching these podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is beneficial, but uh, it, it doesn't hit all the marks. And so, yeah. all right, well, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on questions. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com slash offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.